Today is the last Sunday in the Christian year. Reign of Christ Sunday, Christ the King Sunday. The calendar year places the end of the, the, the year on December 31st. And typically if we stay up to watch the ball drop on New Year's Eve or the acorn drop, or depending on where you're from, the possum drop. The last thing we hear is a countdown. But today, at the end of the Christian year, we hear, Praise my soul, the King of heaven. To his feet your tribute bring. Today, preaching from Ezekiel, I want to say how I believe. There could be no more comforting message than this. At the end of the Christian year, we're made able to say that no matter what has been, no matter what is happening, no matter what is to come, the God of Jesus Christ reigns supreme, not only over our homes and neighborhoods, not only over our, our nation and world, but over all of creation, all the universe. To him all majesty ascribe, crown him Lord of all. One of the easy mistakes that we make on a holy day like this, though, is to ascribe the wrong characteristics to the one seated on the throne. And so I want to preach this sermon in a way that invites us to recognize what's at stake and how we imagine God and what God is like and what God does, what God does for us. Who are kings and presidents and premiers and rulers in the real world? but people we don't know and will probably never meet. At worst, they rule with an iron fist or with incompetence or both and add burdens to those who are already carrying heavy burdens or they rule from a distance. We'll probably never meet them. We only see them in the news or perhaps if they pass through town during a campaign. It matters how we imagine God as reigning supreme changes our own character to know what God's character is like. On Christ the King Sunday, we're prone to project these characteristics of distance, of severity, of impersonal, of an impersonal nature to our relationship with God. We project these characteristics onto God. Whatever God is like, surely there's a great distance between us, right? What is God like? Well, deists believe that God sort of sets the world spinning and then leaves. Not unlike the parable of the talents that we read and heard last week, the landlord gives each of the stewards talents and then he leaves for a long time. What is God like? Is God the one in the watchtower watching us, keeping a strict record of all of our sins and biding time before the great judgment when God will unfurl a scroll listing all of the mistakes that we have made? Is this how we imagine approaching the pearly gates with God or God's deputy Peter unfurling this long list of all the things that we've done wrong and, and finding like a one in bold and saying, you remember this? <laughs> you remember this one? Yes, I remember that one. Is that, is that how we imagine God? 
What is God like? Is God distant or cold or even absent from our daily affairs? I remember being stunned when one of my beloved theology professors confessed that he envied people who could always feel God's presence. He said, for some people, God is always just there. It's never been like that for me. God's just not there for me. But listen to how Ezekiel describes God. The one we call ruler of the universe is dressed in the humble garb of a shepherd. We can see this God coming around the mountain, moving swiftly with a determined look, brow furrowed, eyes focused, lips pursed, pulse heightened, coming to fire the awful shepherds who've neglected the flock and left them vulnerable to attack from every direction. Not only have the sheep become easy prey for the wild animals, but even more disturbingly, Ezekiel says, these shepherds have actually been eating the sheep from their own flock. The good shepherd, he sends the whole lousy lot of them away and sets about rescuing the sheep. This is what God is like. You can change your life to know this is what God is like. Even when we can't always find it in ourselves to accept this intellectually, that God is, cares for, for us this much. Even when we can't feel the presence of God. This is what the ruler of the cosmos is like. This God wants nothing more than to rescue us, to save us from danger, toil, and snare. Not long ago, I fell in love with a book by the English shepherd James Rebanks, appropriately titled The Shepherd's Life. Rebanks notably left farm life to get a degree from Oxford University. Now, he traces his lineage as a shepherd back generations. In fact, it might be that he can trace his lineage as a shepherd back hundreds of generations. He gets his degree from Oxford University only to return after graduation to life on the farm and with the land and with the seasons. Winter, Rebanks says, is my swollen pig-like fingers throbbing under the hot tap, thawing out as I howl unheard blasphemies at the stinging pain. It is my bloodshot eyes in the mirror as I finger out hayseeds it is snowflakes and hailstones hitting my face as I drive the quad bike into the wind, searching for a lost sheep. After leading the reader through a mind-bending journey of what a, shepherd, a shepherd's life is really like, and, and I will warn you, if you take up this book, you're going to learn a lot about sheep. A lot. And after amusing himself with an Oxford degree, he concludes, this is my life. I want for no other. This is the picture of God I want you to have. 
This is the picture of God I believe Ezekiel entrusts to us. It's a picture of God that will change your life. A God who wants nothing more than to save us. A God who will spare no expense, even the expense of, of God's own comfort, of God's own majesty, of God's own life to gather and to comfort us, to feed us, as Ezekiel says, to feed us with justice. Now, one of the marks of some expressions of Christian theology is a description of God as a kind of a masculine hero, as a kind of strong man. You, you can actually go into to some Christian bookstores and find books on things like uh, biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. Uh, don't buy these books. Uh, if you have them, they make good doorstops and window stops. Anyway, they separate gender into these binary categories, biblical manhood, biblical womanhood. Jesus doesn't talk like this. When you follow this train of thought through the literature, almost inevitably you end up with a Jesus who is more like John Wayne than the Good Shepherd. God delivers justice as a strong man, the one who kills all the bad guys and protects us by violent means. Perhaps we should follow author Robert Flynn's advice and kill John Wayne. God speaks of destroying the fat ones in Ezekiel's prophecy. This is what I believe is meant. To take these incorrect images that we have of God this imagination about God that is destructive and even deadly when we play it out in our lives and kill it, kill that image, do away with it, trash it. John Wayne, says Flynn, lives in the souls of those who believe bullets speak louder than words, who believe a gun, a quick draw, and a steady aim are the only Bill of Rights we need. John Wayne must die. But Ezekiel prophesies of God not as a macho, gunslinging, white American male, but as a suffering shepherd who counts up the sheep at the end of the day, and finds that one is missing and leaves the rest behind, heads out with the dogs at dusk and into the snowdrifts and into the stinging wind. And when he finds the lost sheep stuck between the rocks, just beside the ledge of the cliff, he shouts, I see you, and runs to her and gently frees her and cradles her and feeds her, and lifts her over his neck and brings her home. This is the image of God. Ezekiel prophesies. It's the image of God that will change your life if it hasn't already. God is a mother who will stop at nothing to find us and rescue us. I remember when I was a seminary student, it was during the time of the D.C. snipers rampage across Washington, D.C. and Northern Virginia. Some of you are old enough to remember this uh, terrifying story. There was just a couple of guys, a, a man and a boy that he had uh, corrupted were hiding in the trunk of a car in parking lots and just 
picking people off. Um, many people died. And I still remember um, uh, coming out of grocery stores. E each time I'd come out with, with my bags of groceries and wonder, <laughs> well, I got to get back to my car. I hope I'm not the next victim. Anyway, one weekend I had traveled home to, to Henderson and spent time with my family and then I left on Sunday evening uh, after dark, drive, make the, the two hour drive back to Richmond and promised my mother that I would, uh, that I would call her as soon as I got back. And uh, this, was a, this was before cell phones, at least for me anyway, were, were really handy. Uh, and wouldn't you know it, I got back to my dorm I left the phone in the car, I forgot to call mom, and I went to sleep. And I woke up the next morning, and I went to class, and there in the classroom of 40 people, there was a knock on the door. It was the president of the seminary and his secretary coming to tell me that my mother wanted to know if I was alive or not. This is the image of God that I want you to have. The God who can't rest unless God knows we're okay. The God who suffers and over us and stews over us and weeps through the night over us. God is this mother who can't sleep when her children are sick or in danger. God is this mother who wakes in the middle of the night to comfort a child with a bad dream. A mother has to take deep breaths and calm herself when she finds out that one of her children is being taken advantage of or bullied so that she'll be able to make a wise decision and not act rashly. God is a mother who saves us from danger and cruelty and incompetence and neglect. This is the God who rules over the universe. This is the last word of the Christian year about God, as a God, as a shepherd, who moves out into the far country, into danger, to save us. A God with a fierce longing to see us and to know us, to embrace us. This is God on her way to save us, this is always, this is always who God is. And it will change your life to know that. It will change your character to know that. You will walk more lightly on your feet. You will stop being as judgmental as you were, a lesson that I've had to learn across a lifetime. It will free you to know that this is what God is like. Recently, I heard Jerusha Neal, a wonderful preacher, a Baptist, former missionary to Fiji, now a homiletics professor at Duke Divinity School. She was interviewed by a podcast, uh, Crackers and Grape Juice. Uh, you may have heard of this podcast. And at the end of the podcast, they always ask people the same questions that uh, they used to ask at the end of that show, The Actor's Studio. And the very last question that they asked Jerusha Neal was, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say to you? 
when you arrive at the pearly gates. And if you've ever met Jerusha Neal or read Jerusha Neal, you recognize somebody with a character who recognizes the truth of the character about God. Jerusha, when you get to the pearly gates, what is it that you hope is the first words God will say to you? And without missing a beat, she replied, I see you. 